Munyabodi, thank you for having me here, inviting me here. It's been it's a real pleasure to come here. I, I remember Durbanville from 1966. We built a, gives my age away. My dad built a house here down the road when there was a wheat farm next to us. So I have a long, long time ago I was here for two years. And then we moved around back to East London. Anyway, I'll give you a quick bit of history about myself. So I've been part of Auction Life since 2005 with, with my wife. Where is she? She's run away. And my word, I should have chained her. She does that. No. <laughs> um, I've been on eldership since 2012, I think it is, um, at Auction Life. I'm part of the AM team. Um, I look after the prophetic edge for, the, for the, the whole of Auction Life. I oversee it, I teach into it, and I equip people within the prophetic. And I serve in a couple of places. And I'm here this week for the conference that's coming up. And I'm fairly amped, and I think it's going to be quite amazing. It's going to be quite amazing. Can I, can I just do something quickly? So I want to just be obedient, because I, I, I try to live by being radically obedient. Um, Timbukazi, I met somebody called, is I'm speaking too soft? Sorry, I, I have it, I, my voice scares me, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it booms back at me. Timbukazi, Timbukazi, I just felt the Lord say, I had to speak over you, um, and I must do it right now. And he says he sees you. You're not unknown to him. He sees you, and he sees you in, in the quiet places, and he sees you before him, and he knows what you do. He knows what you do in secret before him. He knows how you honor him and how you pray and how you trust him. And he knows your heart and his hand is upon your life and he sees you. I had the sense of him saying, what you do is not unknown by him. Okay. And he wants to encourage you to run even harder. Okay. And then... Roger and your wife. It's, it's Roger, hey? Yeah, and your wife. It's, it's, so the Lord said to me about you guys, he said, um, obedience is rewarded. You shared something this morning, and he says obedience is rewarded. It's not unseen. So be prepared. And he's going to open up things to you, and your understanding is going to increase, and your time in the Word is going to become rich, and you're going to begin to find the treasure in the Word. And you're going to find more intimacy with him and you're going to be see him and know him more. And you're going to carry his presence well. Okay. 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 This is V, my wife, of 37 years. We have two children. Josh, he's 33, we have one grandson with him and his wife, Roxy, and we have one daughter, she's 29, will be 30 next week. Is that right, eh? Got that right. Unfortunately, she only flies in tomorrow, Josh can't make it, unfortunately, with work and stuff. So that's me, that's our history. And my wife keeps me in check. And she's, I call her, I have this thing that I say about V, I say she's like Jiminy the Cricket. She sits on my, you know like Jiminy the Cricket with the, Pinocchio sits on the shoulder and is the voice of conscience. Keeps me in check. I can be pretty, pretty crazy at times. Okay. 
So today I want to talk into godliness. And I've been, I've been waiting on God because I knew about three weeks ago that I was coming and I was going to preach. I wasn't, wasn't aware where, which congregation. And so I began to wait on God and I have a, I have a whole plethora of messages. You know, you've, you preach and God said, no, I'm going to modify this. I'm thinking, what do you want me to say, Lord? I just want to come and rehash something. And so as I was waiting, and then last week I found out I was coming here. So I began to wait on God, and he, he spoke to me about godliness, and he said, I want you to talk about godliness. And so it was quite amazing this morning, because um, who was it again? It was Rudy. You, you get up and say, John 15, pruning. And I'm thinking, whoa, okay. And then I hear a whole bunch more people have had the same thing. And so I begin to go, okay, God, you're speaking. Because it's, it's a subject we don't really talk about because we don't actually understand what godliness is. And so I want to unpack that. And I want to do it by looking at two people. And you have to bear with me. So the first time I'm preaching off of a laptop, I'm old school, I use notes, and I write on them and I, as I go along. And so I, I couldn't do that. I have to, Tipex doesn't look good on a, on a screen. We, you know, so so it's, it's, this is a newbie for me. So please, bear with me. Okay. Sorry. No. So... I want to look at two young men in the Bible. I want to look at one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And, and it's Timothy and Daniel. So let's look at Timothy first. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background. Um, so he's a young man. Okay, He's a beloved son in the faith of Paul's. And then Paul sends Timothy to a church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a really cool church at one stage. There was power there. Paul went in, preached to them, and, they, and, they, and they, they moved. There was big things that happened there. That was the place where they burnt a whole bunch of stuff that was worth a lot of money in committing themselves to follow Jesus. But what's happened to the church is that they've begun to embrace some things that are not correct. They've taken on philosophies from some other religions, and there are a couple of men who beginning to, who've got the ear of the people. And they're beginning to do things that are not correct. And they've got position and they have power. And they're taking the church down a road that's not lacquer. It's not a good place. And so, he, so Paul sends Timothy. Sorry, I'll, I'll stand here. It seems to be the, sorry. So, so Paul sends Timothy there. And he's a young man as well. From what I can understand, Paul was about 16, not then, when he met Paul. And then Paul took him and he's been building into him. At this stage, they say, they think, that Paul was between 26 and 30. And he sends him to Ephesus. And it's a powerful city of deep and dark occultic spirits as well in Diana worship. But there's also a church that is really was very, very powerful. So he sends him back there because he says, I need you to go and I need you to bring that church into a place of health. And he's a young man. And um, he's going to have to face some people that are entrenched in the society. And remember, he's not from Ephesus. He's from somewhere else. Okay? And he was Paul's huntlinger at one stage. And that's how they all view him. You know what it's like? You walk into... Businesses, this you, you get promoted and they give you a division or a new position, and you're a youngster. 
and the old guys are there. And you know what they call you? You're the young Turk. And they make your life very difficult to see whether you've got it, whether you have it that they can give you the respect and they'll listen to you. And so your life can be hell in that place. And so that's where Timothy goes. <laughs> I wanted to move my screen. I'm used to an iPad. <laughs> my fingers do it like this. Sorry, you guys. Then let's look at Daniel. He's a young Jewish man. In actual fact, I was looking into this morning. I just wanted to research more because I wasn't sure of his age. In actual fact, it refers to him that he's a youth. He's somewhere around about 15 or 16. And he's possibly nobility. He comes out of Judah. He's Jewish. He's, he's handsome. It was a qualification. He was handsome. He was good looking. He was bright. Okay? Because the, the instruction was from Nebuchadnezzar to the captain of the army was get good looking, bright, intelligent men who can come and serve me. I don't want the dwarf oaks. I don't want the ugly, those who are missing teeth and you know, can't see properly. I need the best of the best of the best. And that's what he is. But he's a youngster. He's, it, it, he could have been 13 or 14 or 15. And he's, he's, he's taken as a slave, as a captive, to a strange land. But he's versed in the law. He knows the law. He knows that he's in covenant with the one and the true God, Yahweh. And he has reverential fear for God, because he knows if he doesn't follow him and obey him, it will not go well with him. So these are these two young men, and they're going through two different circumstances. Um, and he also knows something. He knows this captivity is going to be 70 years long. How does he know that? Prophetic words in Scripture that had come through. It's going to be 70 years. He knows that. He's there for the long haul. Can you imagine taking your, your son, he gets ripped out of, your, out of your home, he's 13 or 14 or 15, and he gets taken to Russia. He doesn't speak the language. They speak Chaldean. He speaks Aramaic. So he goes there. His communication skills are pretty poor. You know? Have you been to China? Been there a couple of times. I know two words. Ni hao. Shushu, shushu, thank you. Ni hao, hello. That's it. All I know, been there 15 times. My language skills, Afrikaans, English, tongues. <laughs> Nothing else. So one goes into a church that is going into huge error, and one goes as the spoil of war into captivity. And he's going to be plunged into training in the occult. Think about it. So I think about Josh when he was 15. If they'd ripped him out of my arms and take him off and said, we're going to train him in Satanism, how to call up the dead and how to do despicable things. That's what his future holds. Okay. But let's get an understanding. What is godliness? Because I was saying to the Lord, I said, what, what, what is this all about, Lord? Yeah, yeah, godliness, we, because we don't actually really fully grasp what godliness is. I said to Ian earlier on, what's godliness? That's what I'm preaching about. It's holiness. I said, it's part of it. But there's more. And there's something very, very powerful about godliness. 
And godliness is not religiosity. You remember the religious Pharisees? They crucified Jesus. Religious spirit put him on the cross. So it's not religiosity. Okay? Religion is external. Okay? It's an appearance. But godliness is a work in the heart. Godliness is obedience. It's a big thing. Okay? So 1 Timothy 3.16, and we'll throw it up there shortly, but I have it on my screen. And it says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And the rest of that verse talks about who? Jesus. The mystery of godliness is Jesus. And we are supposed to walk in this place of godliness. But I like to know, I like to understand more. I, I, I love to dig into the language and I, I love to go to Hebrew and Greek so I can, is this what they were really saying? Because then I can pin myself to it. I can stand on it firmly. I can say, I can run with this. I can believe this. I can put my whole energy behind it and it can transform me. It can transform my society. So let's have a look at the meaning. Oh, sorry. Godliness can be a great mystery to us. The word mystery is the word mysterion, a bit of Greek for you. And it means hidden secrets, mysteries. Proverbs 25 verse 2. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal things, to hide them. He doesn't hide them from us. The rest of that verse says, but the glory of kings is to search things out. God hides things in his word so that we will take the time to go dig into it and dig into it so we can find it. We can discover the mysteries. And in doing that, we find that we, we draw close to this place where godliness begins to creep into our lives. It begins to saturate our souls. It begins to saturate our hearts. It begins to transform us. That we carry this thing of godliness in our lives. And it's transformational. Smith Wigglesworth. They used to put the people on stretchers. They knew the way he used to go to work. He was a plumber at one stage. And they knew the way he used to go to work. And so they would lie the people who were sick on, on their beds in the road, on the side of the pavement, and he would walk past and his shadow would fall on them and they would get healed. Godliness. There's something incredibly powerful about godliness. So, what does this word mean, godliness? In Greek, the word is eusebia. Godliness, piety, holiness, reverence, respect. Inasmuch, now you pay attention to this one, okay? You're right, there's part of holiness in there, Ian. But this is what it really means. Inasmuch. That your life reflects a reverence and submission and obedience to God that causes your behavior to reflect his will and his nature. That's what godliness does. It causes you to begin to change, that you begin to reflect him. Remember it says the mystery, great is this mystery of godliness. He was seen by angels. He didn't talk about Jesus. Jesus becomes manifested in your life. You begin to represent him better. You begin to carry him more in your life. And it begins, people see him and see him in your life. That's what godliness is. In the Old Testament, and I had to go look for this because I was looking for godliness. You know, that there's, there, none of the translations put the word godliness in the Old Testament. 
And so I use the apostolic polyglot Bible. Because what it does, it takes the, 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 the Hebrew words, the Aramaic, and it puts them into Greek. It's the only way I could find it. I could find the equivalent word. And the word is Yira, Y-R-R-A-H. And it means reverential fear. That's how the Hebrew mind sees godliness, reverential fear. It's an understanding of who God is, how big he is, how small we are, how great he is, how less we are. It's a, it's a very powerful thing, the way the, the Hebrews see it and how the Greeks see it. And what does godliness do that I should desire it? How do I remain walking in it? Oh, these are some questions. I was just listening to God. I was saying, Lord, what, what do you want me to do here with this stuff? And that's what he said. Why should you desire it? Because it's something to be desired, but why? And how do I remain walking in it? Because once you've tasted of godliness and it's there, it's a continual walk. You don't say, well, I've got it. Now I can sit back. You have to continue in this walk of godliness. And then what's the outcome of godliness in your, your life? So let's look at Daniel first, and hopefully that can answer some things for us. So looking from, at Daniel from uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, 8 to 12, 15, and 17 to 21. Anyone who's wanting to write down the scriptures, that's what they are. I'm going to talk out of that. And this is out the ESV. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And then verses 8 to 12. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. I'm going to pause there. Here's a youngster, maybe 15, 16, but he's a youngster. He knows the law. And he says, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food or his wine. They are being given only what the, kings eat, the king eats. And you, if you can understand it, they're being given delicacies, the best of the best food. They're being, who have you watched uh, MasterChef Australia? It actually disturbs me. It's become like a religion. The guys sit there and they go like, oh, the mouthfeel, mm. the crunch. Mm. I'm going like, the hamburger's a hamburger. <laughs> no, I'm serious. The things they were eating, they were like eating delicacies. Like, you know, if you can go in there, the guys are saying, We've, we've prepared a dish for your king, and it swallows tongues. But you've got all these guys who work for you as well, so we made for them as well. We've had to kill 14,000 swallows to give them a meal of swallow tongues. I'm just giving you an exaggeration. But those are the type of delicacies that they go after. Because what happens with this as well? Why he, he, he said no as well? He knew that the, he, there were certain foods he could not eat. He would violate the law. The other thing that he knew as well, that if you start going down this road 
then what you're eating becomes so important. It becomes to affect your senses. And the senses link you to sensuality. And eventually, he would fall. Eventually, he would not be able to stand. He would become like the rest of them. Because your senses are being appealed to. And you start looking forward to it. Ooh, what's for lunch today? Oh, I'm hoping we get some more of that chocolate mousse with that special cream, whipped cream and cherries from Albania. That's really nice. It's my favorite at the moment. So you begin to get drawn to that. So he says, no. I'm not eating your food. I'm not eating any of that. And I'm not drinking any of that Stellenbosch wine. That's the special. It's only, only 42 bottles produced a year. Think about it. That's what he was saying. I'm going to eat water and vegetables. Okay. Therefore he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. That's what godliness does. See, godliness is standing for the word. It's standing for obedience. Here's a quick one. You know, you know the five love languages? You all heard about them? Quality time, gifts, women, wives, gifts. No? You've heard about the five love languages. Do you know what God's love language is? Obedience. Obedience. He loves it. Get obedient. He's just like, oh, Mark, I know you love me. Why are you being obedient? And sometimes it puts you in sticky situations. But I want to be obedient. Because I want to show him how I love him. Okay. But what happens when you do that? You step into a place of more godliness in your life. You begin to lean into it. And so God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Have you noticed that? The more you lean into Jesus and the more you spend time with him and the more obedient you are, your environment can change. Sometimes persecution comes, it's not very lacquer. But you know what? You continue, things change. Compassion comes, favor comes, new doors open, breakthrough comes. Those who persecute you suddenly vanish and disappear. I've seen that in my life. I, the, one, the one time in Grahamstown, this game way, way back, I was sent down there was just before we got married. That's a really long time ago. Um, and I was working, this guy was, was going to be my boss. He was demonized quite badly. I didn't know it. And we were sitting in his office, and it's the first engagement I've ever had with this guy. And he sees some little street urchins running outside the store, and he, he says to me, when I count to three, you jump up and you rush out and you grab them with me. I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, one, two, three, poof, and he's out and he grabs these little guys. He's his arm. Like, what are you doing? He says, I hate them. I've told them to stay away from my store. I'm like, what? I said, I can't do that. It's crazy. He begins to manifest. He starts foaming at the mouth. And he determined from that day he was going to destroy me. I didn't get destroyed. Because here we go. I got promoted. God broke out around, around me. I saw miracles happening. A, people, a, a woman who was deaf in one ear came to my office and say, Mr. Manley, I'm deaf in my one ear. I was like, I've got the medical box here. Can I give you disprint, panada? I don't know what she wanted. She said, no, can you pray for me? I prayed for her. Nothing happened. She said, I couldn't believe that God could use me. And then the Lord said to me, can you pray that I'd give her peace? I said, Margaret, I still remember her name, Margaret and Pepper. I said, can I pray for you that you have peace? 
I said, sure. Put my hand on here. I said, Father. And she said, I can hear. Favor and compassion. Godliness. He's talking favor and compassion. Towards you, but also inside of you, towards people. You start walking past people in the street and you're going, oh, my, my heart breaks for them. That's what I want. I w- because that's what godliness does. It starts to mess with your heart. That you begin to feel the emotion of God for the people around you. That's why even this morning, just like I'm sitting here, I'm going, I'm preaching today, Lord, I'm not doing any of that other stuff. You know, I'm going to keep my... And he goes, hmm, Tepikazi. Have you had many prophetic words over your life? Okay. She says, hey, I need to remind my daughter. I see her. But you can go through seasons where you feel like I'm, I'm doing everything, but, you know, and I'm floundering, and it's, God, are you there? It's like, hey, I see you. You need that. Carrying on, yeah. And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? And that's why I picked it up, how old he was. I went and looked up in the Hebrew, what is youths? What is that age group? Do you know that the Jewish folk have five different descriptions for infants? One of them is really cool. So when they get to about seven or eight months, or they, the, 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 the word in Hebrew is the equivalent in Afrikaans to lump. You know, his little baby. They call him lump. But they have five descriptions. So when they say youth, they're talking about a, they're going, hey, it's between 13 and 16. He's a youth. Amazing. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ariah, test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then Daniel 1, 17, 21. Just a quick one there. The other thing that comes with godliness is wisdom. You put in a sticky situation and you begin to get wisdom. And that's what he gets. He gets wisdom. And, it, and it, it somehow the guy goes, oh, that makes sense. We'll do that. But he could lose his head because Nebuchadnezzar was not a kind man. That's how the kings of that time behaved. Don't do my commandments, off with your head. And you know what? I don't like your family either. Wipe them out as well. I'm going to remove everybody that's connected to you. That's how, in, that's how the kings reigned in those times. So Daniel 1, 17, 21. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding all, in all visions and dreams. Godliness, favor. My daughter um, is a dietitian. She did it at cough season, so we saw some favor on her life. Didn't have metric maths. Didn't have metric science. It's a BSc degree. It's an honors degree. You've got to have maths. And you've got to have science. But the teachers at the school didn't give her the right information, so she dropped those subjects, not knowing. And then God spoke to her and said, I want you to be a dietitian. And the favor of God came. There was a lady in the department whose husband is a pastor. We spoke to them and she said, 
I just like your daughter. I just like you guys. There's something about you. Are you guys Christians? Yeah, we are. Oh! Megan was accepted at courses to do dietetics. But then she got ill and she couldn't go. The woman said to us, I don't know what we can do. So next year, we reapplied. And that woman took her forms and they said, no, 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 no. And they said, she said to them, you accepted her last year. You have to accept this girl. She got in. She's a dietitian today. The favour of God. Godliness. It does something. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Remember this. They did not speak Chaldee. They spoke Amoraic. In three years. Sorry, I pause because I look at the stuff and I ask myself, God, you're so big. What are you guys facing right now in your workplace, in your marriages, with your kids? Push into godliness and ask God, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me understanding? I need to resolve this stuff. My company's about to go bankrupt. I've got to turn it around. It's up to me. I'm the only man of God in this place. I'm the only Christian. I'm the only the woman who trusts and serves Jesus. Nobody else does. The destiny of the company might lie in your hands. That's why you're there. You're thinking, I need to get my CV out. We're going to go bust any second. Maybe not. Maybe you're missing what God's saying. He's saying, hey, push into me and see what I'll do. I stepped out of the workplace a couple of years back, two years ago, eh? two years ago. One of the guys, when he heard I was, was gay, it was so funny. He said to me, you can't resign. I said, what are you talking about, Peter? He said to me, Mark, you're the only righteous man in this company. That's why we survive. I looked at him and thought, who on earth are you? Because his life, what he was saying, his life didn't match up there. And I saw him, I had coffee with him last week. Eh? And he said to me, Mark, the one day you spoke to me down the passage, he said, what you said to me has changed my life. He's in third year Bible school at the moment. He also left the company as well. Very bright guy. Third year Bible school. I'm not. But he saw something. I didn't even see it. I just did my job. He said, the only reason you can't leave. I said to him, hey, but there are other Christians here. He said, no, no, no. You hold the line. As a director, you hold the line in this company. There's something that you do. You can't go. I was like, I'm being obedient to what God's called me to. Okay. Daniel gets a bit extra, because maybe he was a bit more vocal, he was a bit more braver. He gets visions and dreams, understanding. How many of you guys dream dreams? Hey, hey. How many of you understand them? Not always. There you go. Okay. Some of them are like, I mean, we, we have a team, we've got 120 people in our prophetic age team, and some of them are dreamers and seers, and they send us stuff, and we're like, Okay, and then we pray about it, and sometimes we get the interpretation, sometimes we don't. But it's remarkable when somebody comes through the dream, and they're completely bamboozled by it, and you go, oh, this is what it is, and it changes their life. We had, we, we had a spate of, of a couple of years ago, we taught into dreams, and 
and what it did unlocked dreams in the church and we had about i think five or eight dreams came through and they were cautionary words cautionary dreams and it changed we and as an eldership team we followed them we, we paid attention and if we hadn't done that we would have ended up in a mess god speaks but we need people with godliness that god empowers them to understand how he speaks in dreams and visions Okay. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them among all of them. None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in his kingdom. You have to pause at that and you've got to go. Because I do this. I think, okay, they didn't speak Aramaic. They've been there three years. They've been eating vegetables and water for three years. And they've been studying the occult and literature. And everything the king asked them, they're ten times better. How does that even work? Seriously? I'm going to give you another, like Megan, my daughter. So she gets patience. They come in. She's very prophetic as well. They sit down and she sit down. She sees like words in the air over them. And she's saying, I remember a lecture about this. And then she says, what is it? And then the Holy Spirit says to her, this is what it is. And then she'll say to the patient, tell me, do you battle with the following? And they go, yeah. How did, I, how did you know? And she's like, oh, I just thought it might be. And then she, at the same time she's talking to the Holy Spirit, she's saying, hey, well, what do I do? How do, we, how do we help? What do we do? And then he gives her how to sort them out. She's been hunted down right now. When I say hunted down, it sounds a bit vicious. But there's a, there's, a, there's a specialist in Port Elizabeth who's heard about her from other doctors. And he tracked her down. He's opened up a whole new medical service or what do they call it? Wellness center. And he says, I need you. I can't do my job unless you partner with me. The favor of God. The ability of God rests on her. It's phenomenal. I get blown away. Because I see this stuff here that happened to Daniel, happened to my daughter. I've seen it in my life as well. Newsflash, I don't have a degree. I have a diploma in accounting. But I've run companies <laughs> like the financial wizard. No, not wizard, but, but you know what I mean? I've, I've, run, I've run companies, divisions as the financial manager. No BCom. Ian, sorry, Ian's got a BCom and he's, and he's, a, he's got a CA. No CA, no honours, nothing. <laughs> Seriously. Every single position I've been in, I haven't been qualified for. But God. But God. Okay. And then finally, verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. They put this in chapter 1. Why is that important? King Cyrus was the king... That started the ball rolling to restore Jerusalem 
So it means that Daniel was there for the full 70 years. He made it through. And we miss that if we don't know what this is about. So godliness will get you through to the end of your destiny. That you see the fulfillment of God's plans in your life. It's something to fight for. It's something that you need to aim yourself at and say, hey, God, I want this. Would you prune my life? That's why that word was so confirming this morning. Would you prune my life? Look at me. What is here that's not pleasing to you? What is not godly? Where have I got no reverence for you? Because that's this word, reverential fear. We fear God, not in a bad way, but we understand who he is and who we are and our position. And in that place, in that place, we yield to him and we become super obedient. It's scary sometimes. Um, like God will say stuff to me and it, it's like very stretching. This morning, I'd rather be obedient. You know, God hates sacrifice. He loves obedience. Do you know that? Sometimes if you're not obedient, I would have robbed them. Because this might just set something in, in motion in your lives and break open things for you. Sometimes hearing those words of encouragement causes you to like stand up and go, oh God, you really love me. And so when you get into your, the word and you spend time with him, you begin to hear him even clearer. And then you get bold and then you begin to start moving in direction. And the next thing you are leading people to Christ, left, right and center. The next thing you are praying and the next thing God is using you. Because the thing about what happens with these guys as well, the four of them, they begin to transform Babylon. They begin to transform the country. They get a reputation. They become in charge. They get put in charge of provinces. Daniel gets the highest position. His name travels right across the history of the different kings. They all know about him. He's given positions and honor. They change that country. So eventually, King Cyrus goes, hey, we're going to restore Jerusalem. God speaks to him. He was a pagan. But something happens, and he begins to say, we need to restore Jerusalem. Get all the treasuries, all the stuff that was taken from the temple. We need to give it back. They transform the country. I wonder if, 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 if we got proper godliness in our lives as a church in South Africa. If the promises and the prophetic words over South Africa won't come through faster, then we won't see restoration. We won't see revival. We won't see God begin to move. We won't see mass salvation. Maybe we'll see those who are corrupt turn back and become like a certain tax collector and say, everything that we stolen, we're going to get back fourfold. It's possible. What do you think Daniel thought when he got there as a little boy? Oh, I mean, think about it. Maybe he was about this big. And you've got soldiers. You know, massive guy, six foot two, bronze armor, big swords walking around you. Me, I'd be very quiet, stay out of the sight. Because who was he? He was just a slave boy. He was one of those Hebrews. And they killed most of them. They slaughtered them left, right, and center. And they were allowed to. 
But maybe if we do something, and we start to embrace godliness, and it comes through being obedient, how do you talk to people? I'm going to let's talk a bit about some of the practicalities of godliness. How do you how do you speak to people? Do you say, Lord, I'm, I'm leaning into you. I just need to I need to get your heart for people. I need I need to get your heart. How, how do I how do I speak to this person? Or do I look at them and I judge them? I, go, oh, I don't have time for you right now. I'm busy. How do you, how do you do stuff like that? But if you start leaning to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you, would you begin to transform me? Would you give me your heart? What do you actually want to say to them? How do I show them love and kindness and gentleness? How do I show them the fruit of the Spirit? That's what you'll be asking. Maybe you'll start to transform us. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we begin to see people in this country begin to change. And we see a groundswell of something happening of godliness through the church. We see healthy church coming through. Really healthy church. We start seeing the book of Acts. You know that? We, we, you know, we embrace that. Acts 2, 42, 47. That's what we see the church of. Maybe, maybe we're going to see more of that. Maybe we start seeing hierarchical stu- structures in the church disappearing. Maybe we start seeing people going like, it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. And it's about loving people well. It's about building correct structure and correct church healthy church that reflects the king of kings and what he wants. Maybe that, that's what happens if we embrace godliness. Maybe we get so infected with godliness that we begin to infect others inside the kingdom with godliness. Have you thought about that? I like to think that I'm infectious. You know, if I, too late for you, I'm worse than COVID. If I touch you, you if I get you hang out of my presence. I'm infectious. Let's become infectious with godliness. Okay. Timothy. I'm gonna run through this quickly. Let's read from 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. That's scary. We've seen that today. That was written to Timothy then by Paul. And they're saying he was talking about the church he was going to. He was talking about the Ephesus church. Speaking lies into hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. That, that thing scares me the most. Do you know this thing about having your conscious, conscience seared by a hot iron? It scares me the most that you get to a point where you don't get convicted by sin. You don't feel it. Your conscience becomes seared by a hot iron. You know, it's like calluses on your hands. Have you ever seen somebody who works with a, like, um, uh, like a forge? And they, they, they grab steel and they do this thing at incredible temperatures. They've got gloves on, but they're still. But they lose the sensitivity in their hands because they build up these big calluses so they don't feel. Me and you, we pick it up, we'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, I've got third degree burns. They haven't. That's what this is talking about. That your conscience becomes so seared. as with the hot iron that you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
You can walk past somebody and God is saying, hey, speak to them. And you're just like, you don't. It scares me. And this is what he's saying. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hard time, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct your bre- the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject pr- profane and old wives' fables and exercise your- yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Some guys have actually said you don't need to exercise. That's not what the scripture is saying. It's good to exercise. But godliness, exercise yourself towards godliness. That word exercise is the word gymnasia in, in Greek. It's where we get the word gym from, gymnasium. Have you ever gone to or signed up for the gym, being part of a gym? What did you do when you went there? You'd like sit back and read a magazine. No, you went and you sweated. You, you know, it's like, I remember the first time I went to gym. Like the, 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 the next day I went to go brush my teeth. I was like... A gymnasoid. Gymnasio yourself towards godliness. This is exert yourself. Exert yourself. She's not going on pretending. You're just fooling yourself. When you go to gym, I missed gym for about, I think it was like two or three weeks. I, I put myself in that body for for life program way back then. It hasn't really worked. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember going back, I'd been, I had business issues came up and I, I went back to gym. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm over here on the program. These are the weights I've been using. And there was a skinny girl. It's about so big. If she weighed 45 kilograms, it was a lot. I mean, she was like skinny. She must be about 16 or 17. And she was on the thing, you know, you'd lie and you'd you push weights up with your feet, whatever, leg extensions, I think they're called. So I'd been like, doing like 70 or 80 kilograms before. And so she was like, going, <laughs> and I thought, okay, she finished, I got on. I looked, oh, 80 kilograms. I let go of that lever, I nearly died. I was like, Ugh! I was like, Ugh! I managed to move that much, I could close back, and I got off, I was like, you exert yourself. Gymnasio. I dropped myself down to, I think, 30 kilograms. I was like, oh, my word. You're not supposed to laugh so much. I, mean, I remember I came home and V's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I didn't fall down the stairs at gym. It's like, hectic. You can get out of touch with your godliness if you let it slip. It's an everyday thing. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Godliness, it says, is profitable for all things. Remember I was talking about Daniel, your businesses, your family, your life? Godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So godliness works out now. It changes and transforms your life here now. But it secures your eternity for you. 
But some people will go, no, no, no. I'm telling you, I've seen this in my own life. And it doesn't happen overnight. But the more I push into Jesus, the more I serve him, the more I listen, the more obedient I am, the more I see his favor begin to come on my life. I begin to see this transformation. Things change. I mean, I, I prayed a prayer on December the 10th because I, had a, I have a, a consultancy now. It wasn't going well. And I, and I said, Lord, I've done this thing. I've stepped out of the corporate world in obedience. Could you, and I, and I repented. I said, Lord, if I missed it, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I thought I heard you. Could you help me? Three o'clock, I got a phone call. There was the when, there was the Tuesday. I think it was the Tuesday. By the Thursday, my consultancy was fully engaged by a UK company. Godliness. Please, I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm working hard because I see areas in my life. What does happen is you begin, you begin to recognize very quickly where you, got, where you have areas where you're not godly, where, where his, his power is not working transformationally in your life. And so I work quickly to fix that. Obedience is key. Okay, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Then in 1 Timothy 6, 6, 11 to 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about that one. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. This is a very strong verse here. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. These are very strong words. Flee these things. What does it mean? Amble away slowly. No. Flee. It means to run as fast as you can. If necessary, you jump on a motorbike, crank it up at full speed, and get out of there. That's the image the word flee does. Flee these things. Okay, because if you look at the verses before that, it's talking about people who get captured by the love of money and their position and their power, and it leads them into a place where they lose their salvation eventually. And he's saying, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. The word pursue is a very strong word as well. Think about this. It's like a policeman running down the road as fast as he can to catch a burglar or a robber. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Really, that's what you were doing this morning. You got up there and said, this is what God's been saying. This is what he said to me. And a whole bunch of others had the same thing. Five people had the same word. John 15, prove. You fought the good fight of faith for your dad. Hey. I mean, you could have listened to doctors and gone, oh, well, it's all over. He's out of here soon. But you stood. And you said, God, my dad, my dad. And you fought believing. And now we have a miracle. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. 
It's a, it's a serious scripture. Take hold of. It means take hold of it. And it's not like some guys will teach that you can, you can live in it now. Yes, we have the, you get the, the guys who teach kingdom now. We're the kingdom now, but not yet. We see breakthrough. Some we don't. But we continue contending. And so we, we take hold of eternal life. We take hold of it. Because I'm not going to be robbed at the, at the final edge. As Paul talks about it, he said, he said, run the race to win. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. Take hold of eternal life. You take hold of it. Godliness helps you take hold of it. And if you really fight for godliness all the time, okay, you're taking hold of eternal life and you're securing it. So in that final day, when like Will Marie left us, changed his address, as Billy Graham said, he said, hey, hey, you're here, Billy Graham's dead. It's not true. I'm more alive than ever before. I've just changed my address. I have a heavenly address now. Take hold of an eternal life. So that one day too, you'll go, hey, I've got a new address. I'm not scared of death. It's quite funny. I was petrified before I got saved. But I'm not scared of death. I'm scared of sharks. <laughs> because it's a savage way to die. But I mean, but you'll take hold of eternal life. Okay. I want to land it there. I'd like to make a couple of calls because in praying I felt God said I want to massage this in. I didn't realize all he wanted to say. And he does that with me very often. But I believe he wants to massage into this, into this congregation. He wants to massage something. And maybe he's going to start something happening here that infects this area, that this becomes a hub of godliness, that becomes transformational in your community. That you might have to get a bigger venue that you might find Durbanville becomes a seat of godliness completely and totally. And if there's, I want to I I make a call as well. If there's anybody here, I want you to close your eyes. This, who, who's, this word's spoken to them, but you're outside of the kingdom and you're going, Mark, you, you talk about stuff about, you know, you're not scared of death. I'm petrified because I don't know where I'm going. And some of the things you've said are just in mind-boggling, and I think you're a nutcase. But I do want some of the lunacy that you have and you talk about, because it's better than what I have at the moment. And it's not lunacy, it's Jesus. And so I just want to pray a prayer. And if, if, you, if you've never, ever said, Jesus, would you, would you be my saviour? Would you pray this with me now? And it's a very simple thing. You just say, Jesus... Here I am. I want to take you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to believe in you from today. I want to make the confession that you're my King. And I put all my trust in you. I want to take hold of eternal life today. That I know of a future and a destiny and it involves you, Jesus. So would you save me? Would you take me today and make me your son? Would you take my sin and wash it away? And would you make all things new? And I ask that, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.
And if anybody prayed that, would you raise your hand and be very, very brave? Ah, how wonderful is that? It's amazing. Okay. Then I want to I ask you all, would you be brave and courageous if you want to see godliness in your life? And it's a dangerous prayer. Because what I've discovered that when you pray prayers, he pays attention. And he goes, okay, you prayed the prayer, you might have thought I'm just doing it because the guy's next to me stood up and I don't want to be seen that the guy didn't stand up. But he does, he pays attention and he says, okay. And he begins to move. So if you, you want to pray a prayer saying, God, would you? And I'll tell you what you're going to pray. You're going to say, God, would you begin to break out in my life with godliness and lead me on a path of obedience? Terrify me by your goodness and your presence? Here I am, I'm your man or your woman, but I'm ready for it. That's the prayer. And then watch your lives begin to change. So I invite you. If you want to pray a prayer with me, would you stand up? So would you follow me in this prayer? Here it goes. Father, here I am. And I really, really, really mean this. Take me at my prayer. Would you break out in my life? With godliness. Would you give to me an understanding of what that is? I want to walk in radical obedience. I want to be challenged. I want to be stretched. I want to be used. Would you do it, Father? In Jesus' name. I'm ready for you. Be gentle. Amen. Amen. You can sit down. I put that in there because sometimes you can get quite radical. I gently draw you in. Okay.